good evening. The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! Oh, yeah! What has God They will beat you, didn't they? Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? Whoever is beaten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. What? I'm going to give the people what they want. Sensation, horror, shock. Send them out in the streets to tell their friends how wonderful it is to be scared to death. I think we're dead. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Without people, we are nothing. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. Whoa, 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 whoa. This week on The Wolfman Meets, we have in studio with us, Sir Samurai. How you doing, Jordan? I'm doing good. Good to see you as always. Thank you. Gearing up for the 14-year anniversary this year of SPW. I am indeed. You excited? Yeah. Yeah? Excited and nervous. I always worry, you know. details (laughs) details <laughs> i think uh in the last two weeks every single day i've talked to multiple people about it you know just trying to get everything lined up get everyone ready and hopes that the word is out there so people show up very that's cool. always the fear mm-hmm. you know? are there any uh surprises or matches already kind of lined up for the show yeah the uh the big one is drake younger international wrestling star has signed with the wwe mm-hmm. and his final match anywhere is with us wow so it's his farewell to independent wrestling and uh a guy named joey ryan who had a run in TNA. Mm-hmm. He's a big name in SoCal, has agreed to come up and be Drake's last match. Very cool. So we're hoping that that will get people who would not normally come to Sacramento for indie wrestling, you know, that we'll get some new faces mm-hmm. who want to say they were there the night that Drake Younger wrestled his last match in independent wrestling. That's quite the honor. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> worldwide wrestler coming to, what? what is the, the SPW arena called? Yeah, SPW Arena. St. Peter's Hall, I think, is its uh, oh. technical name. Okay. I thought there was a, a combined hybrid name. Oh, the Cafe Gymatorium. Cafe yeah. Gymatorium. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I always try and think of what it is, yep. and I'm like, it's a cafe gymnasium auditorium. Yep. And I can never put the right pieces together. Timothy Thatcher, I, th- I always thought he had coined that, but actually there was a sign once in the school gym. Oh, really? That referred to it as the Cafe Gymatorium. So, <laughs> All right, we'll edit that out, and it'll be a... a Tim, oh, we'll a give Tim, it to Timmy. It'll yeah. be a Tim Thatcher original. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so 14-year anniversary, Drake Younger's last independent match. Uh, anything else on the card so far? Yeah. Um, the other big one is uh, Younger was both our heavyweight and our extreme champion, mm-hmm. uh, and he gave up the extreme title at the last show, and he invited six hand-picked guys to battle it out to see who will new be the new champion and the focus on this is it's all guys who've never really gotten a chance to carry the ball in spw they may be champions elsewhere but in spw they've never held a singles title okay um so it's a six way and because it's the anniversary show and we wanted to make it bigger we made it a fans bring the weapons match (laughs) and some of these guys uh drake frost my tag partner is in the match and he's Mm -hmm. done many of those because he's my tag partner and i always get thrown in that nonsense but (laughs) most of them have never done a match of that style oh okay and it's uh it's broken down to, coincidentally enough, it's two SPW guys and then four all-pro wrestling guys out of okay. the Bay Area. The whole point is whoever wins the title, it's their first it's their first chance to run with the ball. Right. Um, and the hopes from a promoter standpoint is that they will then get extra people to come 
to see what's potentially their big night. Right. You know, because SPW has no budget for advertising. So all we really have is the hopes that the wrestlers themselves will get excited about what they're doing and tell their friends, hey, I know I wrestle every weekend, but on the 27th, you got to come see what I'm doing right. in Sacramento. Yeah, that's exciting. Who are the uh, the SPW wrestlers that are a part of that? Drake and then Josh Scoot Robertson, who's he's perpetually 12 in our eyes because he started with <laughs> us when he was about 14. Uh-huh. And then when he was 18, he went to Iraq right. and served. And then he's just turned 22 and he's back. Okay. So he's been around a long time but was gone for the middle part. But everyone perpetually views him as the, the kid even though he's actually got more experience than a lot of the guys in the area. Sure. Is he, I've, I've missed the last couple of shows due to uh, academic uh, interference. That's what I like to call right. it. Real life is, is how we refer to it. Sometimes real life gets in the way. Yeah, yeah, not a fan, but no. okay. <laughs> uh, is he still in the heel role? Is yes, he still, yes, still? he is. He, uh, he, I, I really liked his turn when yeah, I saw it live. He, he's doing really well at annoying people. That's that's why we've gone that route. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the kid to death. But, um, <laughs> hey, if you're good at something. In wrestling, I, I've always felt there's only so long you could be something and get the same reaction. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to change up. Not to say you have to go from being good to bad or bad to good, but you have to constantly evolve or people will get bored. Right. And the easiest one, of course, is to go from the young, yay, SPW, I've been here forever, to screw you all. Mm-hmm. And that's the route he's gone, and the crowd has really taken to booing him. Is he going to grow a beard? Uh, I don't think he can. I don't think that's an option for him. Okay. Because somebody told me once that the immediate heel turn always follows sure. some sort of... Some facial hair, some, yes. Some gruff yes. facial hair. I think the original Star Trek taught us that, that if you have a goatee, you're the evil <laughs> doppelganger of somebody. I was going to say that, and I think Western movies, you know? Just yeah. the big kind of gruffy, sure. greasy guy. Right. <laughs> okay, so uh, any other matches on the card? Adam Thornstow is wrestling Ryan McQueen, and Ryan is widely considered like the hot young rookie in NorCal. Okay. Uh, and he's a student of Adam's out of Reno. And Adam came back to SPW to wrestle Ryan because we were using Ryan. Mm-hmm. And Adam was like, hey, listen, you know, I really appreciate that you're giving this kid an opportunity. I'd like to be involved. And came back. And the last two shows, no stories, no weapons, no props. Mm-hmm. They have stolen the show with just two guys wrestling. Oh, that's awesome. So they will be that match on the card that's great well quite the roster quite the uh the bill lining up yes You've got a few more weeks to get there though so yeah. i'm sure it'll yeah. grow and we're trying to do every week we're trying to focus on something instead of just the day after the last show going here's the card for five weeks from now mm-hmm. uh, the first week was all about building to the six way and every day we announced a different competitor and now this week is going to be about building drake younger and joey ryan and get people excited about that and the hopes is that is people start to, oh, yeah, I'll go to that, and then they forget about it. Then we'll announce something else, and they'll be like, oh, I really, oh, I didn't realize they were doing that also. Right. I want to be there, so. Will uh, Will Tim Thatcher be making an appearance? Tim will indeed be making an appearance. Okay. He, uh, right now, he's living in Philadelphia oh. uh, for a month and a half, and every weekend he's wrestling. Last weekend, he was in Rhode Island in New York. Uh, I don't know what he was doing this weekend, but he has agreed to come back and fight me at the anniversary show because I didn't have an opponent. As the card <laughs> shaped up, I was sort of the utility player who could jump in. If mm-hmm. this didn't work, I could wrestle this guy or I could be in this match. And uh, last time I saw Tim was before he headed east. And he said, hey, just so you know, I want to be at Drake Younger's last match if you guys need me for anything. And I said, well, uh, I don't have an opponent. And he would say no more. Very cool. And so 
There's no animosity. We're just going to kick the crap out of each other. For I was going to say, sake. that's kind of a bummer. I, lo- I will admit, I love Tim in a heel role. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love the smile. Sure. And I love all the genuine gentleman qualities in the ring. Sure. But Tim is a heel. It's, it's yes. quite, quite the show. Yes. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Shades of William Regal. Right. Yes. Which he would take as a huge compliment. <laughs> In this conversation, we're going to be using certain keywords that oh, sure. certain audience members will will know. Right. And there's going to be words that other people will be like, what in the hell are they talking yeah. about? So can we go through some of the terminology yeah. for unfamiliar wrestling fans? Back when I had a website in the 90s, I had a glossary on it. You did? I took every insider term I could think of and tried to define it. Okay. The most common are heel and face. The face, the baby face, the blue eyes, they call them in England, uh-huh. is the good guy. Okay. The heel is the bad guy. Kayfabe, there's a lot of different legends for where the term came from. Nobody really knows, but it basically is a term for respecting the business or protecting the business, I I should say. Okay. So if you and I were two wrestlers and we were talking about our match, but the locker room happened to have the only bathroom and a fan was coming to use the bathroom, somebody would say Kayfabe and we would walk away from each other because we should not have a fan see us going, okay, you're going to do this and I'm going to do this and it'll be awesome. So kayfabe is now just the term thrown around that refers to protecting the business. Okay. But what is a rib? A rib is a practical joke. Um, And they were, all the autobiographies tell the stories of the big ribs in the 80s, you know. And people today want to do that. But what they forget, I mean, um, jokes are funny. But the difference is, in the 80s, they'd be on the road for a month and not go home. And they'd be on the road with the same people. Right. So they would do ribs to keep their sanity. Mm. Nowadays, we're all waking up in our own beds. We're driving a couple hours doing a show and driving home. Yeah. So, yes, ribs are a big part of the tradition of wrestling. They're not as necessary because, you know, you're showing up with one or two other people and then you're going out to eat and you're going home. It's not the same thing. What is the relevance of cauliflower with wrestling? Uh, The cauliflower refers to uh, your ears. If they get beat up too much over the years, they will start to solidify and it's called a cauliflower ear. Oh, okay. So you'll see it a lot in MMA, you know, the headlocks and amateur wrestling. And professional wrestling used to have a lot more amateur, so it would happen to them as well. So Cauliflower Alley is the yearly convention in Vegas that pays tribute to the legends of oh, okay. pro wrestling. Okay. A schmoz is when a match doesn't have an ending. You and I are going to wrestle, and then what's the thing? Oh, it's a schmoz. And okay. that just basically somebody's going to run in, or the ref's going to get not. Something's going to happen, so there's the story does not end tonight. Okay. What is a squash match? A squash match is where you have, on the corner of the left, you have Wayne in it, you know, 400 pounds of pure muscle, the star with the entrance theme, and ah, and his opponent, Jeff. And Jeff looks like he's 12 years old and scared. Basically, the whole point of a squash match is for one guy. That's the rare occasion where a match is all about one guy. Mm-hmm. The other guy's completely irrelevant. He serves no purpose. He is there just to bump for the star. He's a prop. And you don't see that much anymore because there's so much programming to fill. Why would there be? You know, and you'll still get it every once in a while. You'll have Big Show beat up three guys, but mm-hmm. shorter. That'll happen, but it doesn't serve as much purpose anymore. Would you call those? Would you call those people jobbers? Yeah, that, that that's a good term. That's perfect. Jobber curtain is, jerkers. Kurt. See, those are two different things. I didn't understand things. that one. What was that? The curtain jerker was a different mentality because now we have the mentality that the first match starts to show off hot. Yeah. Fired up the WWE house show I went to in 91. I don't know who the first two guys were. Not only were they not established names in the WWE, they didn't get the full entrance. Oh. It was just, ladies and gentlemen, our opening contest uh, Keith versus Kevin. 
and they went five minutes. <laughs> but that's a mentality that doesn't exist as much anymore. Because I, like Reno, almost always puts me first because I can get the crowd going because I'm a bad guy there. So it's not an insult to be first mm -hmm. now. But back then, oh, what are you doing in your match? Oh, I'm first. Oh, you don't matter. You know, but it's no longer the case. Okay. Like I said, because most bookers want the show. My mentality in SPW has always been I want fans thinking, oh, show starts at five. I got to be there by 445. Because I don't want to miss what they're going to do at five o'clock. Yeah. And so what, what is a jobber then? Jobber is a guy who just gets his butt kicked. Doing the job is losing. Yeah. That's, that's still a term that's valid. So a jobber would be the guy who, anytime he walks the aisle, even though you haven't seen the opponent yet, you know that that guy's not winning. Any famous jobbers of, of note? Yeah, yeah. There, there was the era of the jobber that no longer exists, but like Barry Horowitz was towards the end of that era, and, and he sometimes the jobber actually got over. Other yeah. times there would be jobbers who would have different names. Like you'd be like, last week that guy had a different name. <laughs> like he's that much of a jobber where right. it's just, you know, or his tights say something different. Why is he, you know, Kevin Johnson, his tights clearly say Smith on the ass. <laughs> that makes no, oh, he's just a jobber. It doesn't matter. Right. But yeah, that was a big, that's how they built up wrestlers back in the days. You know, somebody would debut and they would just feed him people. Yeah. You know, and the whole point was for that guy to be a star and the people he was being fed, nobody cared about. Okay. Gig would be cutting yourself with a razor blade to get mm. color, which is bleed because the blood is real. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not as predominant, I guess, in professional wrestling, In the is WWE, it? it's certainly not, because they've taken the PG stance and they don't want blood. Right. In the indies, it still happens. Uh, Drake Younger is a big fan of getting the color. When I did my last barefoot tack match with Bobby Hart, Younger's big complaint was we should have gotten color. And we did bleed, but it was all legitimate. I gigged once. I didn't like it. I've never done it again. It yeah. felt I didn't. To me, it's a fake moment and something that I'm trying to make real. If I get blood, great. Mm -hmm. Like, I have no problem. You know, I've been busted open and I have no issues with that. I guess it'd be like being a martial arts actor and never using the wires and all of a sudden using the wires in a movie. Like, you'd feel like it's, you know. But the people who do it, do it. Like, sure. Giggers like cutting. I just, I, as I said, I did it once. I didn't get good color. It didn't add to the match. I didn't like the sensation of taking a razor blade to my forehead. So I've never done it a second time. You know, you're talking about going to other places, other federations or territories or something. Can you explain that? I think the best way to explain it is wrestling's a lot like the mafia. Okay. Every city is run by somebody. Mm -hmm. Some cities are run by multiple companies. Okay. And so they have, whatever the city is, they have their company. And then those companies need their wrestlers. So every city has their crew and their crew provides half the talent. Mm -hmm. So SBW, half the guys you can see came up in SBW. They're Sacramento guys. Mike Hayashi, Virgil Flynn, Frost, Thatcher, uh, myself, people like that. And then the other half are all guys from other cities. You know, Bobby Hart from Modesto, Adam Thornstow from Reno. Mm -hmm. And they come in and they work for us. But then the flip side is Bobby runs Modesto and Adam runs Reno. Okay. So once a month or once every other month or whatever, they run their show. And half their roster is Reno guys or Modesto guys. And then the rest of the roster is made up from guys from other towns. Okay. The easiest way to say is, is we're actors hired to play in different roles, but we're still us. It would be like if you had Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory guest appearing on some other sitcom as Sheldon. Mm -hmm. On that other sitcom, he'd be Sheldon, but they may need him to be a jerk in that episode to elevate that cast. Right. So he's still Sheldon, but he's a bad guy there. Or he goes to another one and he's you know focused on something else, but he's still Sheldon or what have you. We're sort of the same way. In Reno, I'm a villain, but I'm still Sir Samurai. Okay. In Yuba City, I'm a villain, and Drake and I are the tag team. 
is the honor siding where the bad guys but we're still frost and samurai whereas frost 50 percent of his companies he's drake frost honor society guy but other companies he's dalton frost and he's a cowboy and that one's a little more confusing because the same crowd will see him on saturday with a cowbell and a cowboy hat and then on sunday he's just wearing you know yin yang tights or frost tights mm -hmm. and i never know really how to explain that but the reality is we all just want to wrestle and we jump through whatever hoops hey i want you to come in but i need you to do this and then you have to decide you know am i willing to change my name for a booking or am i willing to change my gimmick because some people want to be you know they're only a bad guy right only, whereas i'm I'm always Sir Samurai, like I'm not going to be Bob Johnson somewhere because I don't see how that benefits. Sure. Unless they offer me good money and there actually is a benefit. Hey, we want to bring you in. We're going to use you for six months. We're going to pay. I'll, I'll be Katie Johnson and put on a skirt. <laughs> I don't care. I just want to wrestle. Right. But I'm not going to change from Sir Samurai to something else for 20 bucks. So it's whatever dictates making a better show. Exactly. Okay. And every company has the guy in charge and the booker and usually it's the same person. So every town has, as I said, there's actually a couple in SAC. There's a couple in Nuba City. Have you been Sir Samurai since, I guess, day one? Yes. Um, there have been times where I've been something else. I've wrestled under a mask a couple times, okay. things like that. But uh, my website was sirsamurai.com. And mm -hmm. for that first company brought me as a ring announcer, I was prepared to be Josh. And he said, oh, no, I want you to be Samurai. You know, that's... You know, that's got name recognition. I'm right. like, no, I've seen my hits. It's got 80 <laughs> people following me on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And they're not all in sack. Yeah. But so he made the choice of having me be ring announcer Sir Samurai. And then when I went to SPW, that just carried over. Like, I never spoke up and said, I'm Samurai. Yeah. That was just always my name. Right. Which has worked out well because, you know, I would hate it to have had. I don't know what I would have done if I had had to come up with it. What is it that kind of propelled you into wanting to become uh, a professional wrestler? People don't believe me when I say this, but uh, it never really occurred to me that I could be a pro wrestler. I was a fan. Mm -hmm. and I loved it. But it never occurred to me that real people, you know, I thought it was just Olympic athletes or giants or uh, steroid monsters, of which I certainly am not. Um, in the late 90s, I graduated from Chico State with a degree in English, and I wanted to make myself write, and I was going to write a book and lost interest. Uh, so I started writing about wrestling for various websites um, just to force myself to write, you know, you know, to keep myself honest as a writer. And so I started writing about wrestling in 96. In 97, my coworkers all tossed in money for my birthday and bought me SirSamurai.com as a domain. Felt that I shouldn't be writing for others and benefiting them. I should be doing it for myself. So I started doing that. Good group of friends. Yes, yes, very much so. Fast forward to 2002, and I now live in Sacramento, and there was an indie show coming up, and me and my best friend Melissa were going to go to it because it was a wrestling show, and the promoter contacted me and said, I know of you from your website. Do you have any experience ring announcing? Being a true fan of professional wrestling, I lied and said, oh, yes, yes, I've ring announced plenty of times, and so ring announced his show, having never held a microphone in my hand in any way, mm -hmm. having never done public speaking or anything. I Going and cold. Lied my way in and, and did it. How'd it go? Went fine. The show was good. It was an interesting cross section of talent, you know, but sure. it was not a, a consistent company that ran all the time. Okay. So they didn't have like their roster and they didn't, have, you know, it was, they borrowed a ring, they borrowed a PA and whatever wrestlers showed up, they just went, okay, you two and you two, uh, you're good guys, you're bad, you know, threw together. There's the show. But actually probably the perfect uh, breaking in point, you know, versus like trying to start at the top. So I did a couple shows for him and a couple shows for his partner. Because even though they were partners, they each wanted to be in charge. So they each had their own company. Uh -huh. okay. They used the same ring, the same roster. But depending on what the letters were, dictate who was the champion and who was in the main event. And each guy was the main event for his company. 
hmm. and a champion for his because they could work together, yeah. but only to a point. I was going to say, yeah, it seems like it would get a little confusing. Yeah, it'd be like having two bands with the exact same members, but in one band, somebody, you know, the one guy's in charge, and then the other, you know, and it, neither <laughs> exist. I mean, both closed. Shouldn't happen. Yeah, it, and it didn't work. <laughs> Um, and at the time, I would then be, you know, my friend Melissa and I would be going to SPW shows and sitting in the crowd at the Colonial Theater. Mm-hmm. And their setup was so night and day. Mm-hmm. Like, they obviously did it regularly. They had a crew. They had a setup. They had the lights and all of that. And I used to sit in the crowd saying, someday I hope to be able to ring announce for SPW. That was as high as I dreamed that I'd be able to ring announce. Because, again, it never occurred to me that a 28-year-old waiter at Applebee's would be able to do. I, I don't think I realized that the people I were watching were actually teachers and employees at Walmart and student, you know what I mean? They were professional wrestlers mm-hmm. to me. And I thought that's Larger what they than did. Life. Yeah. I, I was sure that all of them did that, that though I was seeing El Flaco Loco on a Saturday night, I assumed somewhere on Sunday he was in that mask. And on Monday he was somewhere else. It never occurred to me that there was a guy under the mask who had real world problems and jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to ring announce my friend, Melissa was hot. Very gorgeous woman. She worked with me at Applebee's, and the Big Ugly came into Applebee's, and her server book was covered in Hardy Boy stickers and WWE stickers <laughs> and all that. So he actually recruited her to the SBW Training Academy. Oh, so she accepted and started training. And I was such a, a wrestling mark that I changed my schedule so I could go with her to every camp and just sit in the crowd and watch. I would help them set up the ring, and then I would watch training. And I did that for like three months, never missed a camp. You know, and then we'd go back to my place and we'd practice the lockup and all of that because I was like, "Oh my God, you're going to be a wrestler!" Uh, and eventually, uh, Ugly's assistant Sal Tomaselli said, "You know, you want to get in, bump around, you, you can do that." And uh, I, of course, said yes and start training. And as I trained, the only goal was a match because again, it never occurred to me that I could be one of them. But I thought if I trained my butt off, I could get a match, and that was the focus. And and I had that match, and I was like, okay, 500 matches. I, I can do, you know, and never looked back and have wrestled on every show since, and that's how I got in. Who was, uh, who was your first match? Um, my very first match was myself and the other ring announcer. We were a two-man okay. ring announcing team. Uh, his name was Tommy Tsunami. Took on the Big Ugly okay. in a two-on-one handicap match in which he was the, the big heel. We were just the lowly, and he beat us both up. Two out of three falls, and I tapped two straight falls. We didn't get a win. <laughs> it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was scary, but it was so. It was. You were hooked. I was hooked. That's yeah, awesome. It was amazing. And how many matches are you up to now? Uh, five seventy-six. Five seventy-six. Wow. I know I'm in the five seventies, but I'm bad with numbers. I write all it down. Sure. But unless I'm looking at the number. So you have every match you've ever wrestled yes. written down. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the date, the city, the company, and the opponent. That's quite you know, the archive. And if there's something significant, you know, I'll add that to the notebook because I realized that the book is 10,000 pages. Because originally I was being very brief, like I was somehow going to fill it. And now I'm like, I can actually write like five lines per match and I'm never going to fill this book. So I'm <laughs> adding more details, you know. Very cool. Since you were not uh, obviously present or part of the incarnation of SPW, are you able to give us a little bit of a history as to how it started? Um, from what I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a history geek. I've, since I've started with the company, I've kept track of like, I, every show results. I have a separate notebook that every show from 2003 to now, I can tell you the order of the match, the one and stuff like that. As far as I know, there's three incarnations of SPW. There was the original, which was just like the two companies that I had worked for. It was just a group of guys set up the ring, same guys. Mm -hmm. And then eventually they brought in the big, ugly JD Bishop who brought with him Dante, who now wrestles as CJ Curse. And after one show, 
Ugly was given the book, so he was able to choose the talent. And he got rid of all of those people who, uh, you know, weren't on the same level. You know, they were content to wrestle in t-shirt and jeans from Walmart. You know, they they didn't, and they were content to just be, you know, there was no effort to work out. There was no effort to improve. So Ugly got rid of them. Just wanted to step it up. Right, exactly. So then Ugly took over, and that became the second incarnation of SPW. And then eventually in 2009, Ugly left, and I took over. But I had been Ugly's right-hand man for five or six years. So, like, if you were in the crowd, other than Ugly no longer being on the card, I don't think anyone sees there being the third version. It's just the second version continued. Okay, so, and you originally did SPW at the Colonial Theater down in Stockton. Yeah. And now you do it at the Cafe Gym. The Torium. Torium. Yes. Which is about (laughs) two blocks away from the Colonial Theater in Stockton. We were lucky enough that El Flaco Loco had ties to St. Peter's Hall. And I think eight and a half, nine years ago when we started running there, I don't think anyone envisioned that we would then run once a month without a break because we've never missed one. No, it's every third Sunday. Every third Sunday. With the exception of the anniversary show, <laughs> uh, because for Easter bunnies, just it's hard enough to get people to the seats, and I thought running Easter night was an extra <laughs> challenge that we yeah. didn't need. Yeah, because I find that whenever things don't go well, people have excuses. So the WWE was running a pay per view, sure. or it was raining, or the Niners were playing, or whatever. You know, there's always the justification for why we didn't do well. And I hate excuses. I don't care why we didn't do well. Sure. We could either pay the bills or I had to use my rent money to pay the wrestlers. But Easter seemed like such an obvious excuse for a bad draw that I didn't even want to take a chance. And as a company, our job should be to make the show enjoyable enough to where it should be people's number one choice. It shouldn't be, oh, the Niners are playing. Do I want to see this game or do I want to see wrestling? It's, well, I can record the game. I got to see SPW. I've got to see what timothy thatcher or drake frost or whoever is going to do tonight and it's hard though um because we run every month and we have for 14 years it becomes really easy to say well i'll miss this one but i'll catch them i'll catch them next month if i feel if we do our job well enough people wake up on show day and go, oh it's spw i can't wait to see what they're going to do next i'm a huge comic book nerd and i've always in comic books if the main writer takes you know takes a break they do filler issues that's just random. This week, Spider-Man <laughs> catches a bank robber. And we've tried to never have a filler a job, show. A jobber week. Yeah. <laughs> Where even if nothing changes storyline-wise, everything's still growing towards something. Sure. And ideally, you read the results if you missed it and go, oh, I would have liked to have seen that. That sounds awesome. I mean, a lot of that stuff doesn't happen until the day of. We go, wait a minute. What if we do this? And I, you know, I ask CJ or I ask somebody I respect. Are you sure? Yeah. Let's do this. And we just go a whole different direction and hope that it works out. That's awesome. And when is it that you, you first saw wrestling? I remember watching wrestling as a kid. I was a WWE fan, WWF back then. Um, and my favorite, the thing that cracked me up about it is I would watch it whenever I could, but I wasn't, I, I guess I hadn't put together that it was on the same time every week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I hadn't yet. Oh, it's eight o'clock. I got to watch. You know, it's just like, oh, it's on again. Right. Um, but what would be funny is I was growing up, my dad would always hate on wrestling. He was a restaurant manager, but he would always know what was going on. So it was obvious that he was watching <laughs> it when he got home because he's like wrestling so fake. Can you believe Shawn Michaels, you know, <laughs> super kicked Marty Jannetty through the, the barbershop window? That was ridiculous. I don't even think it was real glass. And wait a minute, how do you know that? Yeah. Oh, I was flipping through channels and I happened to land on that. <laughs> and then high school, I was a big wrestling fan. Attended my first show in high school. WWE came to Chico and did a house show and it was awful you remember any of the matches on the card yeah i remember owen hart was on the card against a nobody skinner was on the card against a nobody 
But what I remember most is the main was supposed to be the Ultimate Warrior versus Nails. And the Ultimate Warrior had broke up with the WWE like two days before. This is one of the times where he disappeared for years. Uh-huh. And so the Undertaker came in as a sub. And I'm marking out because the Undertaker, yeah. even, even back then, he was presence. And in that main event, you know, he comes out the slow entrance. I don't think, I don't even think Paul Bearer was with him. Got in the ring, didn't take off the hat or coat. Nails ran at him, took a choke slam, one, two, three. The music never even stopped and Undertaker left. It was a four-second main event. Shades of SmackDown, yeah. huh? Yeah, <laughs> and they never came back to Chico. Oh. And that was 90 or 91 or something like that. They were like, yeah, we're done with this town. I was going to say, you think they were like punishing you guys or I something? don't know. Um, because it's not like the Ultimate War Nails would have given us a 30-minute classic. Right. You yeah. know, but it was, it was, yeah. I mean, he didn't even pretend. Oh, that's that's kind of what I'm still running through my head is Ultimate Warrior and Nails. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah. I know people talk about Ultimate Warrior and Papa Shango, which I think is somewhat unfair because I, sure. I, I think that he is a, a great talent. But Nails, on the other hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I loved his character until I saw his face, but his voice freaked me right. out as a kid. Yep. And then he came out and I was like, oh, oh. it's Gary Busey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So how old were you when you, you first discovered wrestling? The first pay-per-view, because WrestleMania is always around my birthday. Okay. And WrestleMania 9 was the first and only pay-per-view my parents ever let me get. Who was the headliner of that one? That was the uh, the Las Vegas one where they all wore the togos. Oh, okay. That, that one's 9. I'll never forget that one. Yeah. <laughs> At least I think it's 9. That was the one I watched. I know that. And that was the only one that I saw. Uh, so I, I did the uh, rent the videos from every local video store. And then after high school, I totally fell out of wrestling because when I moved into my first apartment, I didn't have a TV for about a year. I was studying. But I'd go home, you know, on a Monday and I'd maybe catch a bit of Raw and I didn't really follow it. Every Thursday, I'd go to my local comic book store to get new comics. And there was a collection of wrestling fans who would also frequent that comic book store. And I'd be listening to the conversations and they had inside information that I didn't know existed. I just would eventually, that conversation drew me in and I started thinking, I on a TV, I want to keep up on this. And one of the guys, a guy named John, who I still keep in touch with today, uh, brought me a stack of a magazine called The Pro Wrestling Torch, which was a dirt sheet. And it was like 100 issues in a row. And it would be all the results and it would be the backstage rumors and all of that. And I'm learning that Honky Tonk Man and Jerry Lawler are cousins, which I never <laughs> knew. And, yeah. you know, and other people weren't related, but I thought they were related. You know, the smoking guns weren't brother, you know, and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that some uh, some glass is shattering. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but that led me to getting a TV. And the f- so I watched Raw for a while, never watched Nitro. And the first Nitro I happened to watch was the episode where Scott Hall came out of the crowd. And as far as I knew, it was Razor Ramon. Yeah. And from that moment, I was hooked. Because that truly created the anything could happen in pro wrestling vibe that wrestling always pretends to have, mm-hmm. but doesn't have. I, I think I might have, pretty sure I was aware of WCW, but that's, <laughs> it's always been the other one to me. And that's how it always was, especially for, for, for me. WCW was a Southern Fed, even though it was on TBS. And Chico, we didn't get TBS at first. So it didn't exist other than pick up Pro Wrestling Illustrated and there'd be all these names I've never, you know. It's kind of like when I stumbled on Lucha Libre too. I could never remember when to watch it. I couldn't follow it, but I loved watching it. You know, I was like, okay. If you happen to land on it, you'd sit down and you'd watch until the show was over. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. You know, when you first started watching wrestling, who were the people that really inspired you to want to do it? Well, the people I loved were like Piper. Mm-hmm. I love the Ultimate Warrior. But again, as I said, when I first started, even when I was ring announcing, 
I never dreamed that wrestling was something I could do because I didn't think real people did it. Right. It would be like being a guitar player who never realized that he could form a band and play, who thought that all he could ever do was just play his guitar in his living room. Mm-hmm. So once I started wrestling, the people I truly enjoyed were Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, uh, Mick Foley, William Regal. Mm-hmm. Those were the guys who made me believe. Whereas, like, I know it's sacrilege to say I was never a huge Hulk Hogan fan because I never bought what he was doing, ever. Mm-hmm. He was the good guy, but he would do a back rake, you know, and he would just, like, the way he were. I never, never bought into him. But when I got older and started wrestling, I never didn't believe in Benoit or believe in Guerrero or William Regal. You know, Sting later in the show is going to repel from the ceiling dressed as the crow with a baseball bat. That I wasn't buying. Right. That was, I mean, it was, ooh, good drama. And, you know, he points the bat and, you know, all that stuff. But I didn't believe it. But earlier in the night when Benoit and Guerrero fought for 10 minutes, I believed that. He really landed on his head and he really (laughs) hit him and that really happened. And so those are the guys that I always, and McFoley, you know, McFoley you believed because everything he did, he did. Yeah. There was no, you know. Yeah. Over the years, you know, I've, I've loved learning to appreciate wrestling in a different way. Right. Uh, you know, as a kid, obviously, it's all about good guys, bad guys, characters, storylines. You know, what's Flair going to do to match this week? You know, right. it did get to a point where I think my age kind of caught up with my imagination. It wasn't so much that I couldn't make believe anymore, but it got to a point where it was a lot of the same thing sure. week in, week out. And so because I was just still looking at it from a storytelling, that's it standpoint, uh, it was hard for me to appreciate it. And when I try to convert my friends into watching wrestling, one of the things that I've I've done is passed on the information that that you guys have given me to a a non-wrestling fan that maybe does recognize the storytelling. How would you describe wrestling? I think the, the hardest thing is you can tell people about it and they will immediately pass judgment. Because even if you know nothing about wrestling, if you say wrestling, they're going to envision Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. or John Cena or Steve Austin or The Rock. Yeah, one of those people. And think, because we have a tendency to do this, think they already know everything there is to know. Wrestling, oh yeah, that fake stuff where they do this, this, and this. And then you turn on the WWE and you're hoping to see like Daniel Bryant versus Dean Ambrose so you can show. And instead you get an awful Divas segment or a Fandango segment or just, and, and you're like, Okay, not this wrestling. This isn't what I'm taught. Let's fast forward. No, not this. But then the flip side of that is, I think if you can get somebody in an arena, obviously I'll say SBW, but the reality is any independent show and just sit down and watch whether you have knowledge or not. Because the reality is, is you'll have two guys who at most are getting paid 20 bucks, but taking the night off of work and are away from their family and gas. So that we're all paying to be there to do it. And you'll see them go through tables and you'll see them just, beat the crap out of each other and they know that that's not going to get them to the wwe that's not going to get them to the promised land the next day they have to go to work and they might not even be able to tell you why they're willing to do that in front of 30 people i think if you sit and watch that for two hours you'll be hard pressed not to be entertained because really we're all nuts there's no logical reason other than pride there's no logical reason for us to go through what we go through it's just every weekend or once a month however we often we we do it it's we put it all out there for pride and i think if somebody would just come in and give us the chance they will leave going those guys are nuts i can't wait to see what they're going to do next i guess the best example is three times in sbw i've wrestled barefoot on thumbtacks (laughs) and i don't get paid to wrestle for sbw and if we don't draw well i pay money to wrestle for sbw so i've actually if you look at it logically i've paid hard-earned money 
to wrestle barefoot on thumbtacks. And those matches also involved Legos, rubbing alcohol, tapatio salsa, salt, lemons, different combinations in the three matches I've done. But I've done it really to show what I'm willing to do, if nothing else. And yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's not, I mean, what <laughs> I, again, it's, why would I do that? I did the first one and I was like, I'm never doing that again. And then a month later, I went, you know, if I do another one, I could do a spot like this that would be sick. So eventually I did another one. And after the second one, I went, if I do a third one of these... We all do that. Even if we're not doing the gimmick wrestling or the garbage wrestling, we go out there and, and though it's predetermined, it is not nearly as fake as non-wrestling fans would like you to believe. We hit we tend to hit each other really hard because we want... My logic is if, if I get a coworker to come to the show and I'm wrestling Drake Frost, who's my best friend, but in storylines, we're bitter rivals. I want them leaving saying, wow, you guys really hate each other. So I will do everything during my eight minutes or my 15 minutes or whatever time we're going to go to make you forget that we showed up together. And that last night we went to the movies together. And I'd like to think that we pull that off. Making people believe. That we make, yeah, you forget. You know, the analogy I always use is Heath Ledger and Christian Bale didn't hate each other. They probably hung out in between takes of filming Batman. <laughs> but when you're watching that movie, you're not thinking of A Knight's Tale or Equilibrium which are probably two of the most obscure movies to list <laughs> for those two uh, other roles. But, you know, all you're thinking is Batman and the Joker. And that's what we try to do. Do you prefer, or I guess, do you have a preference, or are you just a fan of everything as far as straight wrestling, hardcore wrestling, Japanese deathmatch, lucha? I'm a fan of... Yeah, I don't like lucha. Don't like lucha. I, I can't get my mind around it. I mean, there are exceptions, but if I sit down and watch lucha on the Spanish channel... I'm just like, what the hell was that? He, they didn't even, what the? Um, and again, no disrespect to the no, luchadors. No, it's no, just no, no, no. not, you know, yeah. I love music, but that doesn't mean I love all music. Right. You know, not my cup of tea. It was funny. When I was coming up and then Timmy started a couple years after me, his guilty pleasure was hardcore wrestling. And he loved hardcore wrestling. And I loved women's wrestling. Then once I was in the business for a while, it was not on a pedestal. But, I mean, the great women are amazing. Yeah. Your Beth Phoenixes and your Mickey James and your Molly Hollies are amazing. And a lot of this, you know, we talk the local level, but I think it's the WWE. They, you don't have to be a wrestler, you know, to be a WWE diva. They're like, We're, you're hired. We'll train you after the fact. But you have a match tonight. But then that's how they brought in Trish Stratus, and then she became one of the best wrestlers of all time. True. Because that was not good enough for her. Very true. You're going to be pretty. Okay, I'll be pretty. But meanwhile, I'm going to also be the best wrestler I can be. And, you, yeah. and that's all any of us should do, right? Yeah. People, whether you're brought in because you're tall or you're pretty or you're ugly or whatever gets you the job, it's mm -hmm. then on you and you alone to evolve and grow. You know, Santino Morella is a hilarious wrestler. He's actually a really good wrestler also. Right mm -hmm. now, they've given him the comedy ball to run with. And he's doing everything he can to nail it. But he opened his own MMA and wrestling school in Toronto because he takes very seriously. It's a lot of devil's advocate. Sure. Uh, when I get asked, why do you watch something that is so prejudiced, racist, sexist? Why is the black guy have gun gun uh, gun holes on his pants? Why is there a tag team that's blatantly homosexual and it, right. they're not taken seriously? Is it just that wrestling, because it's entertainment, plays to the stereotypes that it sees in society? That's what I would say. It wants to be. It wa Yeah, it wants to be that. We were talking about it last week. And in our heads, the good guys and bad guys, the bad guys should be Lex Luthor. I'm going to take over the world. But the reality is for wrestling to be real, the bad guy is just the jerk who yeah. stole your parking spot <laughs> or who had 57 items in Safeway at the 10 item or less. That's what a bad guy should be because we want it to be real. 
like you're casting a play and you need, well, we need one of these, we need one of these, we need one of these, one of these. Like a John Hughes movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's The Breakfast Club and everyone <laughs> has a specific character to play. Right. Good example locally is Joe DeSole. We had four students come up together. It was J.R. Kratos, Brian Tannen, Brittany Wonder, and Joe DeSole. Joe was the most real world of them. You know, the more, the guy from the crowd who became a wrestler. Mm-hmm. So Joe DeSole got a disco gimmick. He won't always be a disco dancer. Right. Even if his name stays Joe DeSole, at some point, he will just be Joe DeSole the wrestler. But he was given that little extra something to connect with the crowd. Because when he came through the curtain, if he had just come out in black tights, the crowd would have been like, what's this guy? Yeah. Whereas JR comes out and everyone goes, oh my God. Did he get the night off from the WWE? What's that guy doing here? (laughs) And Brian Tannen was that American, he's a Jack Swagger type, big, strong, and young. And so Joe got the gimmick. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a disco gimmick. It could have been anything. He could have been gay. Or he could, you know, a hillbilly or whatever, and he happened to get the disco gimmick. And it's always been like that. Virgil Flynn and Mike Hayashi came up together, and Virgil Flynn was the best flyer we'd ever seen. So he was always just Virgil Flynn. Mike Hayashi was very uncomfortable. So it started as a joke, but he became a transvestite, and he wrestled in a skirt for many years. And then eventually... He got big enough to where he didn't need the crutch to get over. And he stopped. And it was funny because he never he was never a girl and he was never a transvestite. He would just come out to Spice Girls or whatever. We had a gimmick where he never knew what his entrance theme would be. And we would just pick something that was ridiculous. And he would come out in women's clothing and wrestle a, a man dressed as a woman. Right. And then eventually he grew to the point where that was no longer there. And now he's one of the most respected wrestlers in NorCal. And I don't know why some people are given gimmick and some are not. And again, John Cena is the most successful wrestler of the last 20 years, and he was a hip-hopper, was his gimmick with the chains and all of that, Yeah, and it helped him get over. Well, yeah, and people say, oh, it, it, it helps to perpetuate stereotypes. And I'm like, okay, well, you watch NCIS. Who are they chasing on that show? Right. It's a character. Right. Nine times out of ten, it's a cliche. Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> and you need those because it's entertainment, and you've only got two hours or three hours or whatever, so if you're watching for the first time, it's kind of nice to have some cliches to fall into. Not to, I mean, it's not right. I'm not pro like awful stereotypes, sure. but it's a lot easier when you're like, oh, that's this guy. Period. What's his name? I don't remember his name, but he's the hip hop guy or the disco guy. And a good example of that on our local level, besides Joe, mm-hmm. is Jekyll's the Jester has a very <laughs> gimmicky gimmick. Oh my god! And when he first debuted, so great, he was just the gimmicky gimmick. Now he's arguably one of the best wrestlers in Northern California. He still has the gimmick. Yeah. But most of us look past the gimmick, and he's a guy that you want to work because he works hard, and he's in better shape now. I haven't seen him in three weeks, but I guarantee you he's in better shape now than he was three weeks ago because he's so focused and dedicated. But when he first started, his company gave him a gimmick, and maybe at some point he'll lose that gimmick, and he'll just be him. But even if he keeps it, the first time you see him, you remember him because of his gimmick. You watch him exchange shots with Drake Frost a couple times, and the fact that he's a jester becomes secondary to the fact that that's that guy who fights really hard with other people. Right. What are some of your favorite gimmicks? I was always a big fan of the Japanese guys who came out. I mm-hmm. thought Great Muda mm-hmm. and Jushin Thunder Liger were amazing. And then in later years, Hakushi with the tattoos yeah. and the all white, which my first gear was patterned off of. Both okay. him and Muda, I did the gi pants. Yeah. With, you know, because yeah. those were the guys I was a mark for. I never really got into, and I think most of us would deny, oh, the Road Warriors, best gimmick of all time, I thought. Because right. you believed. There was no doubt. Even though you would not expect to see them at Walmart dressed like that, <laughs> when they came out, 
it wasn't ridiculous. It right. wasn't, what the hell is that? Yeah. It was, well, these are monsters here to kill people. <laughs> and you, you bought it, right? Absolutely. To this day, there's even a small part of me that will. Right. <laughs> but, like, I never bought into IRS's gimmick. Like, I never bought... <laughs> I never bought that he had an office. Mm-hmm. I never bought that Duke the Dumpster Drossy before coming to Raw was mm-hmm. actually taking the trash out and then was like, oh, I got to go. I got a match. Right. Like those those type of gimmicks I never bought. Whereas Rowdy Roddy Piper, he had a gimmick. But that gimmick was who he was. Right. The fact that he was a Scotsman to him wouldn't be a gimmick. That was just him. And I thought that was brilliant. The people who had gimmicks like that were brilliant. And somewhere, I mean, who would have thought, like Undertaker. Brilliant, because that's the gimmicky of all gimmicks. Him and Kane, like when they gave, okay, Kane, who used to be a fake dentist and used to be a fake diesel, now you're going to be the Undertaker's fake brother. Who would have thought he'd get 20 years off of that and have a great career? So gimmicks used right are amazing. I think it's all about what's put into it. Like when they came up with, you know, oh, you're going to, you know, IRS gimmick, you're going to fight with this guy because he didn't pay taxes on his Indian headdress. (laughs) Right? Wasn't that one of his feuds with with Tatanka? Tatanka. And I thought those were stupid, but yet I believed in the Road Warriors, and I hate to admit, I believed in the Ultimate Warrior gimmick. Like, those were people that I popped for. But I think a lot of it has to do with the company getting behind or not getting behind. What would you say is different, uh, you know, from the the heyday of the 80s to the attitude of the 90s to... To what we have now. What we have today. Yeah. I've always felt that things in life matter as much as you treat them like they matter. And that for wrestling fans, WrestleMania is a big deal because everyone treats it like a big deal. Again, it goes back to trying to get them to see it live. You hear a song on the radio and you either you like it or you don't like it, but that experience is completely unrelated to being front row, whether at a stadium or a pub or a bar and seeing the band and being like, oh, these guys are awesome. You can see what they're putting into it. Uh, and wrestling's the same way. And I, I tell people when they ask, oh, what do you do what the WWE does? I said, yes, but I do it on a much smaller scale. We're kind of the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. It's in-your-face entertainment, and you have to experience it to understand it. Because I could write a book about it, but until you've sat in the crowd, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It would be like describing chocolate. You can use 10,000 words to describe it. Or the guy can just pick up a Hershey's Kiss and take a bite and go, oh, <laughs> oh, right. okay. Yeah. We're, you know, the words fail, I think. What do you think of today's product? Are you a, are you still a, a massive fan? Do you just kind of watch it because it's been routine? I'm definitely not as massive. Of, like, maybe I'm too critical. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't sit back and watch it as a fanboy as much as, as I used to. And there's certain things. And I could focus on that if I wanted to. But I'm trying to be a more positive person. So instead of going, oh, that sucks, I will fast forward. But the Wyatt family is amazing. And S.H.I.E.L.D. is so entertaining. And Daniel Bryan works harder every single night than some of these guys have ever worked in their lives. Sure. So that's what I still watch for, is those moments of this guy really cares, like really cares. He's making crap ton of money, and it's not about the paycheck. It's he's going to walk the aisle, and he's going to do everything he can to make sure that everyone leaves talking about him. It's a fake sport where somebody in the back goes, okay, you're going to be the champion, and you're going to do this, and you're going to date her, and then she's going to turn on you for him. And none of that's real. Some things are real because... Daniel Bryan used to do exactly what I did. I remember seeing him wrestle in Hayward and talking to him at a restaurant afterwards, just chatting with him, and he was working at Hollywood Video in Washington. And he had to take the days off to come down to NorCal to get some bookings. So I think it's an issue. I think the people who hate on it, and a lot of wrestlers do, I see people all the time bragging that they don't watch it. And I'm like, yeah, but you're in the business. (laughs) You should at least have a vague idea of what's 
going on. I'm not saying you should watch everything that's on, but you should, you know, you shouldn't take pride. You should probably still be trying to learn from this business. When Sal Tomaselli was training us, he used to always tell us that there's a million pro wrestlers in the United States looking for a job and no jobs available. For you to get hired, two people need to get fired. Okay. Uh, something I wanted to ask you, and if you don't want to get into it, that's more than fine. I can't conceive of you asking something and me going, uh, no. Do you get asked about steroids in wrestling a lot? Yeah. The, to people who've never been to shows, you know, hey, is everyone on steroids? But nobody, nobody's going to look at me and think I'm on steroids. So that's not a question I'm ever going to be asked. I, I'm actually of two minds on the steroids. You know, I'm straight edge. I don't do anything. I don't take anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm not pro-steroid, but I remember telling Thatcher years ago, not that he cared my opinion, but I told him anyway, that if steroids would be the difference between him working as a caretaker and him main eventing WrestleMania, like if that was the difference, then I would support him in the decision. However, if you're doing steroids and still making 20 bucks at the Cafe Gymatorium, and you're taking all the risks that come from doing it, and that's all you're ever going to get, then you shouldn't be doing it. I don't think you should do it anyway. I think the whole point should be to be the best you can be without shortcuts or what have you. Mm-hmm. But I can't fault someone who gets to live their dream and maybe they have to sacrifice something. You should be willing to sacrifice to a point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't understand indie wrestlers, because I, I know guys who, who've done the steroids, but then not put the time in with the diet and the training. So they've not gotten the benefits that should be there for their steroid use. And it's like, what what are you just doing it because it's part of the culture? Like what, what's the benefit? The rewards versus the, the risks. Um, I don't want any of my friends having a heart attack at age 45, mm-hmm. you know? And who am I to say somebody should or should not do something? Yeah. But I am not pro steroids. Yeah, and I, I hope I'm not, you know, coming across in a way of let's talk about all the negative and bad things, uh, you know, that have to do with wrestling. But I guess one thing that I really would like to do is talk about the realities. You know, what are some of the things that, that a, an independent wrestler, you know, working their ass off, going out of town on the weekends, working the day job, they finally get called. You know, what are some of the realities when you finally do get to the mountaintop, if you will? Well, the thing about the tryout is what people forget or don't realize is Every Monday and every Tuesday when WWE does tapings, wherever they are, England, Germany, Sacramento, they are bringing guys in every single time. From the local? From the local area. And sometimes they travel, like they'll bring LA guys up here or whatever. But they have, like there's never a night, and even for pay-per-views, there are always independent wrestlers there to be the security guards or the hot dog salesman who gets punched or gets squashed or cops. And like... Tim Thatcher has been brought in multiple times, and you always hope for the dark match. And real quick, a dark match is... A dark match is... It's kind of a tryout, but it's really... The show hasn't started yet. Okay. And they have a couple guys go out there and wrestle. They're probably testing their cameras and their mics and their lights and what have you. Or they want to take a look at somebody. Like a sound check. Yeah, it's like a sound check. Exactly. Except it's also a tryout. Right. But it also potentially is a tryout. But it's not necessarily, because maybe they have no interest... You know, it's it's two guys and maybe one's just gotten off of injury uh-huh. and they need him to go out and wrestle to see how he feels. And as I said, every show they have, they have five to ten extras. And Timmy once potentially was supposed to have a match, but he was too tall. <laughs> you know, they were like, uh, no, you're too tall because it was going to be like Big Show squashing three guys. And Tim was tall enough to where Big Show didn't look as impressive. So literally they went, not you, Aww. and went on to the next guy and <laughs> yeah. SmackDown or something like that. And you always hope that when you're brought in that that's going to be the thing. If they just see me, they'll bring me in. Um, so that's the fantasy. And I've had, you know, plenty of guys do that. Uh, 
Bruce, before he got signed, did it a lot because he moved to Missouri to train under Harley Race. Mm-hmm. So whenever they were in Missouri, he would get on. But if they would come to California, his family was still here. So he would come back to California and Harley would get him booked here too. And he would come back to visit his family just so he could do extra work for Raw or what have you. So he was, to make sure I get this right, he was Tyson Kidd's first match in the WWE on TV on ECW. Okay. And then Sheamus's first match was against old school Oliver John, who was an SPW champion, mm-hmm. one of the top guys around. Yeah. They just happened to get that spot because both of those happened locally. What they do nowadays is they, they do that and then every few months they actually invite a bunch of people to Florida for their developmental school. Um, and they, and this changed a lot. They fly you out, they pay you a wage and they feed you and put you in a hotel. Wow. That's how Brian Tannen got signed. They brought him out after they had met him. He had done, been at Raw and SmackDown and not done anything, just stood in the back. But then when they were putting their list together, people they wanted to look at, Brian got brought up. And then J.R. Kratos is a monster. If you haven't seen him, like he looks like a WWE action figure. <laughs> he just did one two weeks ago. And he's actually going to run camp for us tonight and impart the knowledge he gained from three days with William Regal to our students. Wow. That's cool. Like Drake Younger, he got brought out to one of those camps. He did extra work here and uh, Ryback threw him through a table backstage on SmackDown where he was just pretending to be a producer. Ryback destroyed him. Mm -hmm. So then they brought him out to Florida for one of those training camps and everyone loved his attitude. It was basically said, we would like you here. We don't know what we're going to do with you, but at some point we would like to bring you in because you're the type of guy we want here. Mm -hmm. Now he's got it. And he, what's not known is he and Dean Ambrose came up together and used to live together and travel together. You know, he was like Thatcher and I or Frost and Thatcher. And so now he's getting to join his friend in the big league, which is incredible. What are some of the things that you love most about wrestling? The crowd. Yeah. Um, The crowd reaction and the brotherhood. You will do the dumbest ass stuff in effort to get a reaction from the crowd. Good examples. When I decide I want to do a third barefoot tack match and I went to Bobby Hart and I said I've got a really stupid idea for a match that you and I can do to end our feud and he said I'm in and I said well I haven't told you what it is yet and he goes yeah I don't care I trust you and he meant it I could have pitched anything and he had also done two previous barefoot tack matches and when I told him he was like never thought I'd do another one of those again <laughs> but let's do it you don't get that and you don't get the reaction from the crowd in the real world whereas in wrestling you have that instant gratification of you did something and it mattered to other people I think my true favorite thing is the realization that even though I'm a waiter at Applebee's and Drake Frost works at Costco, that when we're at a show to those fans, we're not Drake Smith and Josh Littell. Mm -hmm. They buy what we're doing because this last weekend I had two shows and I was the bad guy in both and I did everything I could to be hated and the crowd booed me out of the building. It was in Yuba City and in Reno and after both shows, there were fans waiting for me to thank me for how much fun they had. (laughs) <laughs> that's great and, it, it, and you like to think that they forgot about their bills or their yeah. jobs or whatever yeah for those and that amazes me because again at best at applebee's i got your steak right you know <laughs> or i kept your sprite full right, or whatever but right. in wrestling people like they're not we're not going home until we take thank that long-haired guy for how annoying he was <laughs> that's amazing to me because all we are is is guys doing what we love and other people are Loving it. Yeah, it's it's almost like you're you're Renaissance men. I mean, you you're a wrestler, but you're a storyteller. Right. You are an actor. You're a gymnast. Yes. You know, you're a magician. Right. You know, I mean, there's there's many things going on, and I, I think that's that's what I mean. There's there's multiple levels to love there, and right. Just in you talking about the brotherhood, the camaraderie, I never really truly understood what people meant when they said 
I have to make sure that I'm protecting myself and doing these moves correctly. Right. But that's 50% of everything that I do because the other half is I have to make sure that he is protected. Right. And it wasn't until fully understanding that once I watch wrestling, it's like, for me, night and day. But it's like the believability is still there. The little kid is at the frontal lobe, you know what I mean? But the adult is kind of sitting in the back watching all the the technician stuff. Every time we walk the aisle, we're playing Russian roulette a little bit. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, excuse me, do a table match or, you know, light tubes or any of that stupid stuff that that most of us have done at one point or another. (laughs) A basic one-on-one match, you can easily land wrong. You can easily get hit wrong, and it's at the back of your mind, and you try not to think about it. People at work go, what, if you, what are you going to do if you get hurt? Yeah, hopefully I don't get hurt. Yeah, I wrestle every night I don't wait tables, and I wait tables every night I don't wrestle so that I can afford to do what I do. Mm-hmm. I work as much as I can work so that I can wrestle as much as companies will let me wrestle. So there's that, that sense of danger, and I think that's where the brotherhood comes from. There's people who don't like me, mm-hmm. but they know that if I say I'm going to catch them, if they come over the top rope, they know I'm going to catch them. Right. And again, I don't think the real world in modern society gives you that sense of brotherhood. There's no danger or anything that actually causes you to be a brother to your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just another guy. You know, everyone flip each other off or get mad at their waiter or, you know, pissed off at the gas station because we have no connection with each other. In wrestling, we're all very connected. And then we're connected to our fans because without them, we're really idiots. If we're getting mm-hmm. in our underwear and getting in the ring and there's no one watching. Right. So there's that brotherhood, not just of the wrestlers, but the crowd is what makes us want to up our game because <laughs> I want to make sure the fans leave. Right. I mean, that's my goal. Every time the fans leave, I want them glad they went. Mm-hmm. I never would, whether it's my show or, a, you know, another company, I want people going home glad that on that night they paid their $10 and we're there. Mm-hmm. And if I go out there with Drake or Jekylls or, Bobby, uh, and a few others, I'm going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to injure them. Like, God forbid that somebody gets injured. Sure. But we intend to be black and blue and sore the next day. Mm-hmm. That's how we know that we did our job. And again, most wrestlers are smarter than that. Like, I don't claim that that brotherhood of, of us who kill each other are better or smarter. I honestly feel that we just have something inside of us that makes us feel the need to do that. You know, as I said, Drake Frost is my best friend. He once knocked me out with a clothesline. Like, <laughs> knocked me out. And I didn't know it until later right. when I was talking about the end of the match. And I, there was a very fat guy who was supposed to come out of the locker room and attack me after Drake's clothesline. And in the locker room, I said, I'm so impressed with how quickly you did that. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, I took the clothesline. Two seconds later, you splashed me. He goes, no, I didn't. I said, dude, it was instant. How did you get out of the locker room, through the crowd, and in the ring so quick? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He made me watch it, and it turns out the clothesline knocked me the fuck out. <laughs> and so in my head, I took the clothesline, opened my eyes, and then Larry hit me with the splash. Right. But that was... In reality, what was it? You got hit with the clothesline and... Tweet, tweet, tweet. And oh, that was know it. it. Yeah. Just got... Did you get walked back? No, I was fine. Once I came... Once the splash hit oh, me, okay. I was good. Okay. I just lost that two minutes of my life. <laughs> uh, I didn't think they existed. Right. So I was giving credit where credit was not due. Okay. But that's what I want from Drake, because the crowd believed that yeah they knew if even though we rode together from sacramento to santa cruz for that show they knew well that was real that was as real as real gets there was no bullshit with that that's how i like it to be right but then the argument could be made is i probably have more concussions because of that you know what i mean so yeah, it's a trade-off um and, and i think as wrestlers get older they try to figure out a way to make it look like that and not be like when you first learn the skill you're sloppy sure it's like anything else yeah exactly 
Because the last thing I ever want is anyone to miss a day at work mm-hmm. because they had to wrestle Sir Samurai. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sure there's That's, been some of those. You know? and <laughs> I can't come into work today. What happened, Sir Samurai? <sighs> His forearms. <laughs> what are some traditions in professional wrestling? One of my favorite ones to tell is is when someone retires, the best way to go out is... is on your back. On your yes. back. And why is that? That is because to be made a star, a lot of people have to lay down for you logic is they have to you only looking good as wrestling is other people allow you to look so on your way out there's no benefit to the company for you to look like a million bucks so when you leave you're now gonna elevate someone else so you go out on your back and somebody else gets to brag oh, i beat him on his last match so it's like given that momentum right uh, the the biggest traditions is just the respect you show up to a show you shake everyone's hand and introduce yourself you never know you never know who's who in the locker room so it's very important that you say your highs and you say your goodbyes wrestling is built on respect and trust because you have to because i can go to florida and wrestle a guy and if he says he can hit a move i've got to trust he can hit a move i can't be like hold on a second can anyone vouch for this dude can he really do this right yeah it's a okay they said you can do you know so respect and trust i think is the true tradition in pro wrestling because mm-hmm. if it's not there there's no way you're gonna have a good match if right. i if i don't trust you at all, I should probably knock you out at the start of the match to protect myself. Right. As the longer it goes, the better chance you have of injuring me. The senior guy always gets the be- the, the shotgun in the car. Like, that's <laughs> never even discussed. If mm-hmm. you're the vet, you get the shotgun. And then, and I don't know how this works in other territories, but in our group, at least, whoever has the best running car has to drive his car. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? If, yeah. if you've got a nice car and I've got a 94 Toyota Tercel that yeah. I bought from Timothy Thatcher years yeah. ago, I should not drive to Reno. Right. <laughs> Because with me, there's the roll of the dice and whether we're going to make it. If you've got a 2013, what have you, you're driving. Now, we'll all toss in for gas and we'll all take a turn behind the wheel. But, uh-huh. yeah, the nicest car. <laughs> Becomes the limo. It should, you know, because you want to make it. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. One of my favorite things was that there is that respect for people that have been doing it longer than you. Yes. You know, guys my age or younger talking to guys twice as old as me and just right. saying, you know, Tell them, teach me. Tell me what right. you know. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's really great. That's something that happens in music too. And it should because there should be the gro- the knowledge I've been given. I should now give out. That's a big. That's CJ's big thing in, in the academy. Is when you're training, you're taking in knowledge, and then it, it gets to the point where now you're now handing back because there's always someone newer than you. You know, you you just started. There's always the newest student, mm-hmm. but eventually he won't be the newest student, and he will have made mistakes. So the, we should always pass on the knowledge, and that's very important. And there are people who are much younger than me who are vets to me. Mm-hmm. And there's and there's also people who start after me. So just because on the calendar I started first does not mean I in any way are bigger. Right. We hold each other up instead of hold each other down. That right. Makes sense. And then the one tradition I thought of is very important. After the match, you always go out of your way to thank everyone involved. Mm. Find the rep. Thank you for that match. Even if in your head you're like... That sucked. I screwed this up. My opponent's a freaking idiot. That was you. Thank you for the match. Appreciate everything. All right. You wait at the curtain and you thank everyone involved. Right. Because you couldn't have done it without them. Without them, you were sitting in the crowd. So that's that's one of my favorite traditions. Is that moment of you all right? You cool? How was this? Was that good? Did that work? <laughs> I thought this didn't work. Sorry. We'll get it next time. But I love that. You see, you know, you said the production. The, yeah, very much so. Everybody's got to be in the right spot. Exactly. I remember somebody was like, describe wrestling in two words, a violent ballet. Yeah, nice. (laughs) I like it. The other big tradition in wrestling and a rule that Ugly taught me that I 
preach is wait till Denny's. Because <laughs> in any situation, no matter how positive, there's going to be some negative. There's going to be an idiot or something that we're on the match. But we want to be positive when we're there. Because I, as far as I'm concerned, if I'm in the locker room, I'm still on. Denny's is where you can go. Can you believe that dumbass motherfucker in the first match <laughs> thought it was acceptable? You know, that's where you, yeah. you vent and it's become yeah. a running joke where people... <laughs> last time I was in Oregon, Ugly wrestled a match and afterwards I was waiting at the curtain to see how it went and he walked by me and goes, Denny's. And that was it. That's all I said because he was not happy with this match. <laughs> First time we went to uh, to Vegas for Cauliflower Alley, which is a big wrestling convention for old timers. Mm-hmm. But they used to do classes for young guys. Okay. So it used to be, and it's not the case anymore, but it used to be you couldn't be considered a graduate of the SPW Training Academy until you've attended Cauliflower Alley. So I went three years in a row. And the second time I went, I went with a variety of people, but Tim and Drake were with me. And Timmy was just starting to wrestle. And we had come up with the idea that he needed to be British because he was such a fan of British wrestling. So we told him that in that trip that he had to be thick British accent for the entire trip. And we're waiting to get on a bus. And he's talking and the lady behind him, you know, excuse me, where are you from? In a British accent, because it turns out they were from England. <laughs> and I'm staying there staring, straight, you know, tears running down my face as Tim's explaining yeah. where he's from in England, but explaining that he's been in the States for quite a while, so his accent was rather muddled. And she was like, yeah, because it's, I was not pleased. It was, you know, uh. so we get on the bus and it's late at night and Drake lays out on the, the big seat in the back. And we're like, Drake, you know, you fall asleep. You'll go flying. He's like, oh, I'm fine. Five minutes later, the bus slams on the brake. Foot. It's the, the, the ground. And we all start laughing and you just hear him say, I know. I don't want to talk about it. Because <laughs> it was, you know, he just went flying. I bet there's a fair amount of pranking. You know, the, the best prank ever happened at a show. A guy named DJ Riz, who's no longer with us, was scheduled to win a battle royal. And this was for a company that no longer exists. And he was bragging all night long. You're in the battle royal? Because I'm winning. I'm winning. I'm winning. I'm winning. And I say to Paul Isadora, who's legit seven feet tall, hey, you know it'd be funny? <clears throat> if he didn't win. And Paul's like, we're doing it. <laughs> and then, so the battle royal is going on and it was a Halloween battle royal everyone was in costume yeah I was Raven I think yes <laughs> and Cassie Summers who was my valet and who's now married to Mike Hayashi was Stevie Richards and Timothy Thatcher had not debuted yet so he was a referee named Bill Alfonso from ECW who was famous for blowing a re- whistle he was a heel referee yeah and so we called the moment and and Paul tossed Riz over the top rope Riz landed and tried to get back in the ring Tim grabbed him and pulled him out Riz was like, I was supposed to win. Tim was like, you were eliminated. He was like, I was supposed to go over. And Tim blew the whistle on his face. And in his best Bill Alfonso said, you did go over, Daddy. You went over the top rope. Get to the locker room. <laughs> so Riz, you know, was pissed because yeah, he was yeah. supposed to win. So the battle royal continues. And someone says to me, "Um, so who's winning now? And I'm like, I don't know. Let's have Cassie win. So Cassie won the battle royal. And the promoter was just like, what the hell is this? Riz is, oh, sorry, miscommunication. Right. So that's my favorite <laughs> rib that we ever did. Because it's still, I mean, that was eight years ago and it's still talked about of whenever there's a battle royal somebody will say should we pull a riz (laughs) Uh, let's see let's see how we want to do it why is it that it feels like the championship in the 80s or the 90s it was like that's the champion there's the guy he's got the titles that's the you know the top of the food chain and now it's almost like well there's that guy holding the championship it goes back to what i said is the basis of wrestling things matter in life as much as you treat them as they matter and if you don't treat them like they matter, they don't. The company does not treat it like it's special. So it's not. They've successfully convinced us, oh, belts don't really matter. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy that. No. <laughs> you know, I'm still like, well, that guy has the title. Right. So The belt has always been a prop, but nowadays it's a prop that's not used well. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. In the Hogan era, it was a prop that was used very well. The focus was on the belt. Now it's it's a prop. They have purposely buried their props. Right. Which I don't like at all. Cause yeah, it's kind of a shame. Because even on our level, sometimes title belts are props. But I know it was a huge deal to me when I won the SPW title. And I knew it was a huge deal to Timmy when he won it. And I knew it was a huge deal to Bobby Hart when he won it the first time. And I can't speak for other people. Uh, and at our last show, when um, Dexter St. Jock won the heavyweight title, it was a huge deal because he wasn't supposed to. He didn't know. I knew. Sal, the booker, Younger and I had come up with the plan of Dexter winning the belt, but we didn't tell anyone. No one knew. So when he won the belt, there is a moment of him going, oh, fuck, <laughs> because he thought he fucked up the finish. Yeah, what was the finish? It, basically, he just hit a move, and Younger held him on top of him. Oh. So instead of kicking out, and they had more planned, but Younger knew that that was the finish and had clued the referee in at the last second. Hey, when I do this, he's not. I'm not kicking out. So when one, two, three, and the bell rang, Dexter was, oh, my God. And that's, we've done that a few times in SPW. That's an old, we <laughs> like to go awesome. <laughs> because the moment's worth that much more. Cause the fans, of course, like, oh my God, I never thought that a rookie would win the belt from such a legit star, but all the wrestlers turned to me like, oh my God, what are you going to do now? And I'm yeah. like, that was always the plan. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you just have to have faith and come along for you the ride. You made them believe. Exactly. Which is great. Exactly. And that's, that's how wrestling should be, Absolutely. you know? And even though that belt is a prop. It does mean something because Dexter has now been handing a ball that he was not expected to be handed. And he's doing, he's, he's a manager at Logan Steakhouse and he's posting pictures. The champ is at work and he's got the belt. Like he's, I saw that he's pushing because he knows he needs to draw. Not to say that if he doesn't draw, okay, you're losing the belt to, we'll try someone else. But there is a tradition, like everyone who's held the SPW belt treated that very seriously mm -hmm. because it was legit. It is, even if no one's telling it to you, I know when I was the champion, I felt like it was my job to be the best wrestler on the card and to draw. And if I didn't, that really bothered me. And we all, and it's a pressure that we put on ourselves because I know it's true of everyone I've talked to who's ran with the belt is, has had that where they knew if there's a night where we only draw 30 and you're the champion, you're not doing as good a job at the champion as you'd like to do. How many titles have you held in your career? Um, I've been the SPW champion twice, the SPW tag team champions twice, Technically, I was the SPW Extreme Champion for about four minutes. Okay. We used to do where the match would always be fought under a gimmick, mm -hmm. and you'd draw a random gimmick, and we didn't know what it was. It would be 10 dominoes in a bag, and a fan would draw, and you'd be in the ring, and they would then tell you, this match is under these rules. Okay. And uh, Hayashi was the champion, and I don't remember what it was called, but it, it was an instant rematch. So I wrestled Hayashi for the belt, <laughs> and I won. But the stipulation was, as soon as the match was over, we got back into our quarters, the ref checked us again, and we had a second match, and I didn't win that one. So I don't really count that because I never left the ring with it. Okay. Um, I was Devil Mountain Wrestling Champion once. I was their first champion. I held that for a year. The one that I carried multiple times was a company called NAW had a MySpace championship, and it was a comedy division mm -hmm. basically and i held that belt like 19 times or you know, i don't know how many times but the finishes would always somehow play into the social media vernacular kept getting disqualified for spamming my opponents because i'd hit them with a can <laughs> of spam <laughs> the night the champion was crowned i was disqualified from the match because it was a guy named dan hellfire who ended up winning it i believe rick luxury was in the match I was in the match, and the secretions as a band were in the match. Um, and they, they got added to the match. They added a friend. And during the match, Danny secretion pants me. So the ref threw me out for public nudity or for posting nudity. Oh, um, no. So I was disqualified for nudity. 
Um, so that was a lot of fun. So I had that one a lot, and that company died, and I kept the belt. So I still have the MySpace title belt. Very cool. And then I was the WCWF US champion, and I recently lost that to Brian Cage. Okay. I think that's everything I've held. Can you tell me uh, the story of when you won your first SPW championship? Yeah, that was... That whole reign was funny. It, Ugly was the champ, and he was thinking about leaving the company. So he picked me to win the belt, and I was the booker at the time. So I said, no, no, I'm not getting the belt. No, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't want it. I shouldn't be. I could carry it, and a uh, crowd cared enough about me. That's legit. But I don't think the guy making the decisions should be the top guy. I don't think that's good for the health of the company. However, Ugly said, you're winning. it." So we wrestled, and I was the bad guy, and he picked me up for a move, and I pulled a chain out and punched him, and I, and I won the belt. And then he quit the next show. So that was in March. So at the anniversary show, I wrestled Timothy Thatcher for the belt. And back then we were doing a thing called the Supreme Seven Series, where after the anniversary show, the champion would face the number one contender in a best of seven with all gimmick matches. And so I beat Timmy and Frost and CJ won the best of seven qualifier together. So we did a three-way dance for seven months. And each one was a different gimmick. And we tried really hard to do gimmicks that no one had ever done in a three-way situation. We did a three-way submission match. We did a three-way British rules match, which has rounds and managers and stuff. Mm -hmm. We did the three-way barefoot tack match. We did a three-way no-rope lumberjack match, which is the one stipulation that I will never do again. It was, I got vertigo. There was, you know, looking around. At one point, Frost threw me out of the ring, and the only person who caught me was Christina Von Erie. (laughs) Like, everyone else was like, oh, look, a quarter. And all the, he threw me at a group of people. Yeah. And everyone split. And Christina was like, no, and caught me herself, (laughs) and I almost killed her. Yeah. I I didn't have fun with that at all. (laughs) That was just. But then the final match was a 60-minute hardcore Ironman match. Mm Mm-hmm. And it came down to where we had, of course, each won two matches in the best of seven. Mm-hmm. So whoever won the Iron Man was winning the belt. And I was going into it. I was the villain. And during that match, I turned to babyface just by taking some insanely stupid risks. Mm-hmm. And that was the plan. That was the match where I jumped off the top of the backboard, you know, stood on top of the backboard and dove into a group of people. Right. Um, and also uh, St. Peter's Hall has a stage and Frost Belly to back me off the stage onto what should have been a table of barbed wire. But it got knocked over, so it was just a floor of barbed wire. Oh. And he broke two ribs doing that, and this was 20 minutes into the hour match. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so that really hurt. You know, yeah. So the crowd was just like, Samurai's killing himself. Yeah. And then at the end of the match, we do the I do the big dive. Frost and CJ return to the ring, and I'm laid out, and everyone's convinced that I'm hurt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my ex-girlfriend, who I was with for 15 years, runs the snack bar. She was in on it. She runs over. She's crying, but she knows that I'm okay. Yeah. Or she thinks I'm okay because really, there's no guarantee I'm going to be okay. <laughs> but when we came up with the concept, it was going to be, I'm going to pretend to be hurt. Right. What if you're really hurt? I'll be fine. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? Um, and at the time, I was leader of the Honor Society, which was Hayashi, uh, Steve Stamp, and Johnny Plinko. Mm-hmm. And so when I made the dive, they were there to catch me. And Bobby Hart, who I love, who wasn't involved but saw what I was going to do, and left the snack bar and walked over to be there to catch me. Got up and then left again because he was like, well, I'm not going to let Samurai get hurt. Like, it had no storyline relevance at all. He was just like, yeah, I'm going to catch also. And, like, you watch the video and you see Christina Von Erie hold the ladder for us. You know, like, the other wrestlers are like, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm going to help make it safe. And that's, to me, that's the essence of SBW. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So we're laying there. And as we're laying there, I grab Hayashi and I say, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to win. Thatcher's going to come out and turn heel. Challenge me to a match after the Iron Man. He's going to distract the ref. You guys are going to turn 
on me beat me up, Timmy's going to win the belt. Because Ugly's gone now. I'm in charge. I'm getting the belt off my goddamn waist as soon as I have say. And Hoss is like, next month? And I know, I'm like, no, listen to me. In about five fucking minutes, this match is going to end and I'm still going to be the champion. He's like, we're doing it now? Fuck, and we're in the crowd. I was going to say, this is happening security, during the yeah, match. Yeah, this was during the match, but everyone's watching CJ and Drake in the ring kick right. the crap out of each other. Okay. So I'm like, do you got it? Yeah, I think I got it. So CJ sets Drake up on a table. He goes up top to hit something. I return to the ring and the crowd goes apeshit because they think I'm gone. I superplex CJ off the top of the rope through the table and Drake, who has two broken ribs. We all go down. I get the pin and I end up winning. And they all chant my name. I'm now the good guy. Mm-hmm. Timmy comes out and he was the good guy earlier in the night. Talks about I'm a disrespectful, you know, I'm a fat piece of crap. I'm old. No one wants to see me. No one likes me. No one respects me. I don't do anything in the business. And the crowd's like, he just jumped off of it and he just did this. <laughs> Tim, you're kind of wrong. Yeah. You know, Samurai actually worked really hard. Yeah. And so I grabbed the mic and I said, I'll put this belt on the line against you anytime you want. And he goes, fine, let's do it now. So after going an hour, we then wrestle. And he blows out his knee three minutes in. The ref's like, Tim, are you okay? And the honor society beats me up behind the ref's back. Tim wins the belt. He's now the champion. And I'm now a good guy. Wow. That's that's my favorite story. That's And that was seven that's months. That's a journey. That's not a story. And the other, <laughs> the, the other the thing I loved about the best of seven series is for the first six matches, either CJ or Frost threw me in a garbage can in every match. Like during the match, whatever the rules were, right. my ass ended up ass in garbage can, feet kicking out. And these were real used garbage cans. I'd come out covered in nacho cheese. And <laughs> and it, I mean, the first time they just did it because it was funny. Yeah, yeah. But so six matches of that shit. In the seventh match, I killed both of them with garbage cans. <laughs> so CJ gets one. He's going to set me up. I cut him off and I hit the Randy Orton DDT where CJ's feet are on the ropes. Yeah. DDT him into a garbage can. Drake cuts me off. He's going to beat me up with another garbage can. I drop Drake, put the garbage can on his chest, climb to the top rope, and do a cannonball off the top rope onto the garbage can. Oh so seven months of us telling a damn story. Yeah. And I think that helped with the baby face turn, too. The crowd saw Samurai finally didn't get thrown in the garbage can. Just a massive manifestation. Yeah, exactly. That's you know? awesome. Yeah. It's so, so, I mean, you really have to see the long term yeah. in, in wrestling. Speaking of some, you know, two broken ribs, have you had a long or storied history with injuries? I've been very lucky. Yeah. I've never missed uh, shows due to injury. Uh, I have broken a couple ribs. I've broken a couple fingers. I've broken my nose. I've dislocated both shoulders. I really messed up my ankle last year in a tournament in the first match. Mm-hmm. Still wrestled the next two matches and won the tournament. And my ankle still bothers me. Like it never healed because mm-hmm. I never took any time off. Okay. But I've been so lucky because I've never, the only time I missed one match once on a Friday, I fractured my ankle on the Sunday. I was supposed to wrestle in Chico, my hometown for the first time ever in front of my family. So on that Saturday, it was a triple shot weekend was SPW. Ugly wouldn't let me try to wrestle. He made me DJ so that I'd be able to wrestle on Sunday. And it hurt so much, but I was in a tag match with Timmy and Drake was our bodyguard and we were the bad guys. Nobody knew I was hurt. We did it in such a way to where I could work on one leg. But yeah, so yeah, I've probably gotten a couple of concussions here or there. As I said, there's, you know, Frost knocking me out. And then during the best of seven, I went through a table, you know, which everyone sees, but it went horribly wrong because the leg of the table, the table shattered mm-hmm. and went away. The leg of the table went into the back of my head. Oh. And not, again, I wasn't aware that I was knocked out. Right. But when I opened my eyes and fans were above me crying and the match was over, I realized that I missed a couple minutes. <laughs> 
because the match had evidently ended. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just weren't there for it. Yeah. No, I've, I've been blessed. <laughs> and, and that's one of those things we try not to think about because it's always there. You know. So for somebody coming up, tinkering with the idea of becoming a pro wrestler, they say to themselves, I, I really want to get interested in, in the pro wrestling. You know, if they were to just come up to you comfortably and say, what can you tell me about somebody that's completely green to the business? Well, the, the best thing I could tell them is it's going to be really hard, but it's more worth it than you can ever imagine. Because the crowd reaction I get on the third Sunday of every month in SPW is magic. Mm-hmm. And words can never describe what it feels like to be in back and discuss something and go out and nail it and have the crowd react the way you want. For me, the bit best thing I have is when I get to see my friends have that moment, mm-hmm. like as much as I love that moment. My favorite moment in wrestling, in all honesty, is the night that J.R., Brian, Brittany, and Joe made their debut. The crowd was huge that night, and Timmy and I came out and we brought out the roster to introduce the four people who were in the debut. And we played uh, Social Distortions, Winners and Losers, which is one of my favorite songs as the entrance theme. And it got so loud as each person came out that I teared up. I was standing there and crying because I knew the sacrifices all four of them had made. And now they had their moment. And whatever happens for the rest of their lives, that was a moment shared not just by them and by Tim and I, but all the wrestlers and all their family and friends. And... That's a moment that I'd like to think anyone who was there will smile when they think about how cool it was. And all of them cried in the locker room that night with joy and mm-hmm. satisfaction. And so anyone who was like, oh, I might want to be a wrestler, it's going to be really hard, harder than you can possibly imagine. And fr- more frustrating for that first year because all you do is the negative stuff. You don't get, but when the reward comes, nothing on earth touches it. And that's, that's why we do it and why we keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, you've already made two of my dreams come true. And, right. And I... Got teary-eyed with no shame both times. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It, it, both times I was completely yeah. not prepared for it. <laughs> My take has always been El Flaco Loco taught me it was okay to cry in wrestling. Yeah. A lot of guys are very, you know, ooh, well, you never see me cry. I've got no bone. I cried when I won the title. I cried when those four debuted. Um, yeah, I've I've cried in this business. I will never forget standing in the crowd and being like, oh, okay, the Honor Society is going to come out and hearing my song play. Right. And seeing you and Drake and, yep. and Flacco okay. Loco come walking down yep. the ramp and just going, like 98% of the crowd has no idea and or is not paying attention. Right. But I, right. <laughs> that, I mean, it was like, I Well, and that, <laughs> I because. Marked, again, I marked out. <laughs> again, it was a special moment made more special because that, I, I've come out, I think, to your songs twice now and both were cute anniversary type moments yeah. or actually it was anniversary and my 500th match yes and i would have done it even if you weren't in the crowd but the fact that you were there for it was such a magical moment to me because i uh i listen to music non-stop unless my tv's on or i'm at work i'm listening to music and final summation has gotten me through a thousand bad workouts every year i've done the escape from alcatraz triathlon that's music that i've listened to to get me fired up and to share that moment even if even if you were the only fan who got it was such a magical moment. That's a ma- that's a true moment that you will always remember. And me trying to have those moments, I'm like, well, I've got to do something different. Yeah, and then I mean, the day that the day that that moment came was, <laughs> and I'm so happy my parents were there. Yeah, was what I told them. I was like, you know, because <laughs> they both asked me, when are you going to grow out of it? You right. Know? And then they finally just gave up asking right. that question. But you know, on a birthday when I commissioned SPW to be a part of it, I think you were either short on the roster or just came up with a, a match type where I remember I think I had just played and yeah. was telling you know uh, the next band to get ready to start and CJ or you one of the two comes up and says 
uh, so we're going to need you to come meet me behind the curtain in 10, you yeah. know, and I just walk back <laughs> and then CJ's like, here, you know, he's, he's mapping out the match for me yep. and stuff. And the whole time I'm like, no, I, no, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. He's like, well, why? And I'm like, I'm not going to hurt somebody on my birthday. I couldn't even believe that I was yeah. going to even get near the ring, let alone in it. It's funny because I can watch that video on YouTube and I probably remember half of it right and i think it was just because the adrenaline, adrenaline. Yep. was going so fast that to clean house at the end you know yep. of all the moments in my life if somebody ever has me rank them uh those will definitely be in the the top right. 10 and that's that's why i think wrestling people ask is wrestling ever going to go away and i don't think it will because those moments you'd like them to happen every show but they don't mm -hmm. but everybody everyone fans wrestlers have their moments and your moments may be different than mine and all that, but we all have those moments where when you talk about it, you get a little emotional. It's a fake business, and I hate that word, but it's a script, but it matters, and what we do matters. And, right. I've, you know, there are people who aren't necessarily happy with their day-to-day -day lives, but on the third Sunday of the month, they wake up excited because they know they're going to have fun and they're going to get to escape, and that's what entertainment's supposed to be. It's supposed to be escapism. So, you know, you've mentioned Bruce, who's now a referee yes. on, on WWE. Known affectionately as the Asian ref. If you watch <laughs> if you watch WWE and you see a Vietnamese kid, that is Bruce. <laughs> they only have one. <laughs> okay. He's ours. We're claiming him. I was going to say, uh, yeah. what other names have, have come out of SPW that people might recognize? Besides Bruce, the biggest one would be John Morrison. Johnny Onyx, when I started with SPW. Um, and then Johnny Nitro, I think, was his first gimmick in WWE. One Tough Enough. But he was a kid going to UC Davis who tried out for Tough Enough 2 and knew nothing about wrestling, but was very, he was a gymnet, gymnast. And so after Tough Enough 2, came to SPW and spent a year with us, multiple time Intercontinental Champion, ECW Champion. You know, he had a good run and now he's back in independence. Okay. But he's our big story. And then Christina Von Erie who's now living in Jersey, but has done Japan and done all over the U.S. and was in TNA for a cup of coffee, as they refer, <laughs> is another the big success. But I think the true success of SBW, I mean, John Bruce and Christina and now Brian Tannen and hopefully JR in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Those are the awesome, those are the, the bragging stories that you're like, look who started in SAC and look what they are. I think the true success is if you go to any independent show in Northern California, somebody from the Academy will be featured prominently. And on some shows, 50% of the roster will be the Academy. You know, Timothy Thatcher held the Bushido title for like two years and he was multiple time APW heavyweight champion. Johnny Polinko was multiple time devil mountain champion. is a huge star at hood slam. Mm -hmm. um, so even people who've moved on, I think the success they started in our humble because we don't have a gym. We train in a garage and on Mondays we drive to Yuba City and use somebody else's ring because it's a way to get ring time. But even from that, the most humblest of beginnings, we have sent people to the big leagues. And also, I'd like to say that we're a backbone of Northern California wrestling. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the training academy? It's uh, CJ Curse is the head trainer and Virgil Flynn and I sort of act as co-trainers. And we do every camp. There will be... Some badass cardio workout because CJ is a certified CrossFit guy and so he will kill them with CrossFit um, and it's yeah you should look like a professional wrestler and that's very important but the reality is you need to be able to go in that ring and go for 20 minutes and be able to protect your opponent 19 minutes in mm -hmm. if you're blown and tired and you drop him on his head that's on you so we are very physical oriented in our training and then we do the basic bumps which you do before every single camp because you got to bump a thousand times before 
you need to train yourself to do things that are that become second nature. You don't even think about it. And then, you know, depending on the mood, we'll basic moves or spots or, or whatever. It's the more you learn, you just move up the food chain. And in SPW, everyone, when they get to the point, they'll start refereeing on shows or doing security. Like JR, Tannen, and Frost were all too big to be referees because they'd make the wrestlers look tiny. <laughs> but everybody, you know, is, if you're part of the academy, you're setting up, you're tearing down, you're promoting, you're working. You just move up the food chain. I was a ring announcer. That was my thing, but I was also there at 9 a.m., you know, and set up and was there all day. And it's just, it's a group, it's a group effort. You're all working, you know, you want to see everyone succeed. But yeah, every Monday we drive to Yuba City and use WCWF's ring and they don't charge us. And the agreement is their students get to sit in on our camp. So it's like a joint camp. Cool. And then on Wednesdays, we train at Virgil Flynn's house, heart dungeon style with the mats on the garage. And then on show days, we do an open camp where it's our students and anyone who wants to train with us from any school is welcome. So in any given SPW show day, if you were to come to camp, you'd see a couple from APW, everyone from Bushido, some Yuba City kids, just people trying to get better. How early before the show? On Camp this? usually starts at 1. At 1, um, okay. Yeah, right around 1, depends. So if someone were you know interested in getting into professional wrestling, how would they go about finding the academy? Contact us, uh, Sir Samurai at AOL. Yeah, I have an AOL account. I'm the guy who still has an AOL email. That's me. I want to. Uh, I want to start showing up to shows, and when people ask for my entrance themes, I want to give them a cassette tape and be like, "Do you not? No, is this not going to work?" We're always taking new students. Okay. Because the logic is, no matter how long you've been doing it, the basics are still the most important. So you would still reap a benefit by working with a guy on his first day, doing the very basic stuff. Okay. So yeah, we're always always taking students. Well, thank you very very much for sharing this time and no just letting us in on a, a small portion of the, the giant world that is professional wrestling. And if you'd like to, to plug SPW as far as where people can find you online or out in the world. Third Sunday of every month in Sacramento, except for in April, we're going the fourth Sunday. We're on Facebook under Supreme Pro Wrestling. Uh, we have a website that is not updated nearly often enough. Facebook's probably the best place to keep up. We're on Twitter as SPW underscore Sacramento. Give us a chance. If you've never done it, you need something to do, come out. You will get your money's worth, I promise, and so much more. You'll be glad you went. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.